Welcome to Everything Is Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard, and I'm here with Keith Krepko. And I'm here in Keith's apartment. My uh, mansion, you mean, my house. Right. We're recording a little early, a little early in the week, um, just to sort of... Keep it fresh, man. That's right. Change it up. Change it up. That's what we were just talking about. Change it up a little bit. See what kind of conversation we can have on Friday. Yeah. I wanted to get your opinion on something real quick, though. Have you heard of nanoblocks? Yeah. Yeah. They're like miniature Legos, right? Right. And when you put them together, they kind of look like like pixel art almost, like pixel figures. They're pretty neat. But then they're kind of tiny. Just two little things. I have a giraffe and an elephant because those are the two, like animals that we've more or less assigned to my daughters right because they're not old one's enough an to elephant pick and their favorite animals yet so it's like yeah you're gonna like elephants and you're gonna like, you're giraffes. like giraffes but that's what i've got right and i've got them sitting they're they're tiny i've got them sitting on the corner of my pc which is sitting on top of my desk and on top of that pc is a printer and in the tiny little space left that the printer leaves are these two nanoblock giraffes and elephants. And at least four or five times I have come into work in the morning and they have been completely demolished by the cleaning crew because someone comes into the offices in the morning and cleans. I mean, like, I don't even know how you do this to something. And I came in on sometime this week, I think it was. And the elephant, it looked like, it, it looked like they had like smashed the elephant with their fist, picked up as many pieces as they could, and then just mashed them into the top of it, and then literally swept the rest of the pieces behind my desk. So I looked over, and the platform that it stands on was in between my desk and the wall, as well as like a couple of little pieces. And it's just like, why does this person keep doing this to me? You know what right. I mean? Like. I, I understand it happening once, maybe twice, but, like, why do they keep, like, are they trying to send me a message? Like, probably like, get these things out of your, I don't get it. Like, they're having, like, a personal war yeah. against your nanobots. You should, uh, you should just put a post-it note on them. Maybe. Yeah. You don't even have to write anything. Just put a post-it note <laughs> so they can see them. Right. You know, maybe they. Or maybe I can get, like, a nanoblock shelter to put them yeah. in. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It just is like, it's a little frustrating, but more than frustrating, I'm just in like, I want to know what this person is thinking. Spe- speaking of um, not understanding what someone's thinking, um, have you been watching the World Cup? No. Well, <clears throat> I've been laid up a little infirm recently, so I've watched every second of uh-huh. every match so far. And in both matches I've watched, they have premiered a new technology. It oh, is a, really? It is a new goal line technology Okay. that will show you the moment that the ball crosses the plane of the goal mm-hmm. on a, was it a 10 <laughs> foot long goal? Yeah, it seems a little unnecessary. Every goal that I've seen <laughs> has not needed it. And guess what? They've used it every single goal. Uh-huh. And every single goal that they've used it, even the announcers have commented on how unnecessary it seems. Like one of them was like, well, I guess <laughs> if you got a new toy. And the other one was literally just like, well, that seems unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a soccer goal. Right. It's, it's not. 
Yeah, it's not like a, a first down marker that they use, right? Where it's like this first down marker could be on any of these hash marks on the field. It's like this is the only line on the field by the goal. <laughs> these are grown men <laughs> kicking a ball as hard as they can into a net. Right. The the amount of times you're going to have to use your goal line technology is going to be one goal in a million. Maybe right. that kind of dribbles along the baseline. But so far, I've watched like nine goals. Not one of them has needed it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I thought that was just kind of funny that yeah. they're premiering a technology that's useless. Right. No, it's useless. It's like the the <laughs> scores of soccer games is like two to one. It's not like yeah. they're scoring a lot of goals. And we get to see the moment that each one of both those <laughs> balls crossed right across the line. And it's, it's like an animation, too, which I'd uh, never got. Like tennis, you know, when they're like, is the ball in or out? And they switch to that animation of oh, a ball right. with the animated yeah. skid mark. And I'm like, that seems so weird, right? Right. Like, that seems it seems completely fake. Like, it seems it's, like it's this computer guy's just, like, guess of what just happened. Exactly. Right? I imagine somebody like you sitting back on a computer being like, <laughs> oh, crap, they want right. to know where that's And just right. randomly drawing an oval. And yeah. the one be like, okay, I it's got like, the animation. I definitely need an explanation of that because it's like, if you have that angle, like, why not just why don't why am I not just like watching the ball actually hit there? Exactly. Right? Show me the actual shot that you're basing your animation right. off. Don't switch me to another dimension. Right. Of like animation. I'm like, sure oh, it's is... some like algorithm though of like this is where the ball was hit and this is where you know what I mean like some yeah. sort of weird calculation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So what are people thinking? Yeah. Speaking of which, we read the painter. <laughs> what were we thinking? What were well, can you blame us? We're <laughs> no. just the innocent. Yeah. I'll I'll well, I'll we'll get into it, but I'll take the I'll take the I'll take the hit on the painter. Um but yeah, today we're talking about uh Peter Heller's new book called The Painter. Um After that, we will check in with the social media Twitter sphere yeah landscape see what's going on in there um and we will have a uh uh, we'll talk about our recommendations after that and we also have a little bit of news about the podcast about what's going on with the website and all that stuff that we'll talk about after our recommendations Uh, but we're going to take a quick break And we will come back with our thoughts on The Painter. to start with the painter let let's start with a simple declaration of you know respect that this guy wrote a novel you know sure yeah and so i am going to be fighting the urge to just rip this to shreds yeah but i want it to be said that you know anytime somebody writes a novel they're showing far more dedication than 
than I have yet in my life. Right. And I wish I had 300 pages of poorly written text, you know, <laughs> that I could point to um, versus, you know, half, uh, a, you know, 15 half finished projects. So right. Having said that, though, there are objectively bad books and bad films and bad paintings. I think that is that is the pandora's box of our relationship i think with art that we yeah that we will not go into right the objective idea the objective versus subjective what it can be declared objectively good and bad of what can be declared subjectively good and bad all right well let's just have that as the backdrop we won't reference it but let's look at the painter and just in our discussion, I think it would be pretty obvious. Right. Where we fall on whether the book is subjectively good or bad. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and just to jump on your 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 uh, your uh, your uh, thought to. Um, yeah. It, it, just getting something out, obviously, is an accomplishment that, you know, Peter Heller doesn't need us to say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we both aspire to write and try to write, and it's difficult. And just like you said, getting something down that's three hundred over almost four hundred pages long that's at least understandable is an accomplishment. Right. Um, but with that being said, uh, well, with, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that being said, the painter is about uh, a painter. Uh, and boy, is he a, a painter. Pro, a prolific painter. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's about a painter who moves to a new town after a, after losing his daughter, after his daughter is killed, and after a divorce. His marriage dissolves. His marriage yeah. dissolves. He moves to a new town. And uh, the story picks up from there, right? It opens with... It opens with a... Uh, it opens with him shooting... Uh, uh, the town pedophile, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> at a bar. At yeah. a bar because he, the pedophile, was making comments about his daughter. Right? It's a flashback, I guess. I don't know what it is. I guess it's not yeah. really a flashback. It just is sort of to set up his character. Right. right? Sets up his character. Yeah. She's she's obviously still alive. The pedophile is making some innuendos. He gets upset. He shoots him. The pedophile lives. He goes to jail for a year. Yeah, something like that. He does. Yep. Go, yeah, he goes to jail. Um, but the, the impetus of him moving is, I think the death of his kid and the divorce. Right. Um, so anyways, he moves to this new town. He gets, uh, he gets set up painting again. Like we said, he turns out to be a very prolific, mm. uh, with a Midas trend touch. setting everything genius he does. of a painter. Ugh. Um, and then he oh he also loves to fish loves um and then he uh so he's on his way out of town to go uh, fly fishing somewhere he sees a truck with a horse cart pulled over or stopped in the middle of the road and he sees a guy fighting with his horse and um beating it right he gets out of the car to see he gets the uh jim we should say the painter Jim gets out of his truck to see what 
is going on. And as he's walking up to this man, he sees that the man is beating the horse mercilessly. Um, so he uh, tackles him or attacks him. They get in a fight. Breaks they get his in a confrontation. Nose. Right. Breaks his nose. Bre- breaks the guy's nose who's beating the horse. Right. Del, the horse beater, leaves. Jim calls his neighbor. One thing leads to the next. He's then fly fishing in the middle of the night and stumbles upon Dell's camp, right? Because Dell is a um, local hunter who takes a group of guys out to go hunting every year. And it's implied that he's a poacher. It's implied at the beginning of the book that he is a poacher. It's implied at the be- like Dell is not supposed to be a good guy. Dell is a bad guy. Um, and Jim just cannot let go of this uh image of Dell beating the horse yeah and it's overtakes him he equates it to his daughter kind of yeah towards the end of the book or I guess halfway through the book one of the detectives makes that connection and it's kind of like yeah you you get the feeling that he's sticking up for helpless things or people because he couldn't stick up for his daughter who was killed right um so he's fly fishing in the middle of the night. This book even sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. Hearing you walk walk <laughs> me through the narrative, yeah. I think I need a better idea yeah. if and, I'm a writer. And, and this is where I'll, I'll end with, with describing the narrative. And this is kind of where everything, after this, this is this is more or less the, the catalyst of the book. He's fly fishing in the middle of the night in a river. He happens upon Dell's camp. Dell steps away drunkenly from the camp to take a pee in the river. And Jim sneaks up on him, bashes his head in with a rock, and Dell does draw a knife. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. I he didn't draws a knife that. and starts walking. To- now he would him with a rock anyway. Right. And Peter did he, Heller. Did he draw a knife because he heard something? Well, uh, Dell, <clears throat> Dell saw him in the creek. Oh, okay. And then said, "Like, oh, I know you." That's or whatever. right. That's right. And I then came that. came towards him. Right. And that's when Jim. So yeah, Jim hits him in the head with a rock. He either kills him or he doesn't. Either way, Dell falls face down in the river, and if he doesn't, if he's not killed by the rock blow, he drowns to death. Either way, Dell's dead, right? So that's the catalyst of the book. Everything flows from that. You know, police get involved, blah blah blah. Paintings um, are painted, right? So let's so let's start with, um. Well, there's there's two things that are explained in excruciating detail in this book. One is painting, <laughs> and one is fishing. Yeah. Do either of them work? No. No, they don't. Um. Next. <laughs> what else doesn't work? Yeah, and and that's and that's 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 one of the biggest problems. Just right from the outfit, there is a lot of fishing in this book, and there is a lot of painting in this book. And I'll even say the first um, painting that he starts to work on and starts describing the ocean of women one, I liked. I was on board. I thought th- I thought it was an interesting idea. And you know, he he starts to throw in a little bit too too much too many elements towards the end of like the f- sharks and sea monsters, whatever. Yeah. Um, coming up from below. But at first, I thought it was an interesting idea. Um. But there's just it, there's just too much of it, and it's not yeah. interesting. And um, I think we both agree that it's a it's 
it's probably supposed to be a metaphor for writing. Um, yeah, because cause I also want to say too here, painting is not, uh, it's not easily adaptable in the writing, which is yeah. why I'm like, why are you spending so much time explaining this horse and this bird or this train? Because it's all in the execution of it. I don't have a picture in my mind of how he's painting this. I don't know what his style is. So you're basically just telling me um, there's this ocean of women and there's a shark and it's kind of scary looking. And, you know, and it, it, it just feels so and it goes back to feeling just so self-satisfied right. in the image itself. I thought of this image. I'm going to explain this image to you. You're not going to see the image. And and I got it on a digital version. And when right. I came over to your house, the first thing I did after we started reading was I grabbed the book yeah. and I opened it up and I was like, are there even like yeah. miniature <laughs> pictures right. in here? Like, cause each chapter is just another paint, the painting that he paints that chapter or the multiple paintings right. that he paints that chapter. Right. I'm like, does he start this with a miniature thumbnail of at least a picture yeah. that I could look at? Because Without that, this is all useless prose. I don't care how beautifully you, you describe the Mona Lisa. Right. Until I see the Mona Lisa, right. I'm going to be like, oh, so she's kind of got a smile on her face and kind of not. Uh, why? I don't know why you chose painting. Yeah. And well, and the problem, too, for me, at least, the problem is that he is. The, for him, painting is so effortless and he's such like a genius and he is more or less like barfing these things out like <laughs> yeah. it's like he's not even trying you know yeah. and maybe it speaks to where peter heller was at when he was writing the book maybe he he's felt like it out <laughs> yeah maybe he felt like man i'm just i'm just like turning these things out like they're nothing like i'm really on a roll and so that's representative of of jim's creative process where he's just like you know it takes him an hour to paint a more or less what is widely regarded as a masterpiece by <laughs> getting the masses, in the museum right? now. Yeah. That's selling for tens of thousands of dollars. There's a scene in here where he's painting a really big painting and Peter Heller spends a few pages remarking on Jim reflecting on how easy it was and how yeah. he wanted, he was debating on whether or not to sit around for a few days to make it seem like he spent more time on it and how little people would believe how little time he spent on his painting. Right. And I'm like, is this anything more than self-congratulation on how quickly it took you to write this section? Because it, yeah. it feels that way. And, yeah. and, and also it does not have the same effect as Jim's painting, that writing style. If that's, if that's true, because it's written really poorly as well around all that. It's not just the fact that he's using a pretty poor metaphor, I think, and also not carrying it off as well. I read a book recently about a painting called The Goldfinch. Mm -hmm. And in that one, Donna Tartt had to describe a painting and she did a great job. Yeah. But the important thing is, is that it's one painting that she had to describe mm -hmm. and she put a lot of effort into describing yeah. it. There are, over the course of these three to 400 pages, there are, what, 15 paintings? I mean, it's like at least 10 paintings. Yeah. And you're just from one to another to another. And no matter how desperate Jim gets, he always finds time to pull over and 
paint another masterpiece, yeah. you know, in the in the margins of getting shot at and chased. Right. It's and preposterous. Yeah. And like I said, the ocean of the very first painting, the ocean of women works me for me because that to me, that visual is different and it's interesting. But like after that, the paintings are like, here's a horse and a crow. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he spends paragraphs like theorizing what the crow could be saying to the horse. Just as like, but, but it's interesting that you mentioned the goldfinch because what it made me, what the, what the fly fishing and the, what the, uh, the, and I think everything we're saying for the painting aspect could also go for the fly fishing aspect. Like, like it's fly fishing guy. Like you don't need (sighs) 150 pages of your book to be dedicated to this guy fly fishing. But, um, uh, the the what the painting the descriptions of painting reminded me of was um, American Pastoral Philip Roth's book and in it there are a lot of paragraphs and there's a lot of pages dedicated to describing leather work and specifically making gloves and it's like there could not be something more boring to explain than making a leather glove. <laughs> But somehow Philip Roth like makes the those passages in that book are amazing. Right. And like they do such a good job of just like explaining it to you and like making it really interesting. And like I didn't care for American Pastoral, but I would love to go back and reread the pages on the glove making and yeah on (laughs) making gloves you know what i mean and that's nowhere and you know it's maybe it's not fair to compare peter heller to philip roth and that's not really what i'm doing but it's nowhere to be found in here and especially for a book called the painter well let's get let's get to that because we talked about the painting now let's talk about the painter um and i think from the opening scene of him and shooting the guy in the bar i think what he was really going for was to set this guy up as a sort of like a man's man artist right and and even and the 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 first thing i thought of after reading that first page or couple pages was he wants this guy to be the hemingway of painters right and he and, he, he and makes late right yeah. later in the book he references that like someone right. nicks nicknames him hemingway, hemingway or something right yeah um and this is something that I pulled from a one-star Amazon review that I thought was very a very succinct way of describing it. This person said, uh, an unsympathetic and unbelievable hero, a painter slash fisherman who magically has the muscles, calluses, and scars of a blue-collar laborer. And that's a perfect description of him. And I would add to that, he's never actually worked blue-collar, right? The only thing he ever did was drift right and then decided mm-hmm. to be a painter yeah um but he wants this guy to be some sort of like working man's hero standing up for the little guy which is represented in killing the poacher um and all the ranchers and the men's men love him all, yeah everyone loves him and i also wanted to point out something that i noticed very early on in the book which i think plays into that is everyone in the book is working for rich people right even even the painter who is selling these paintings for tens of thousands of dollars it's still framed in a way of like he's just creating art 
and he's selling it to these like despicable, maybe not despicable, but just like un un these faceless rich people with just like millions of dollars in disposable income. But um, he uh his uh his wife, his ex wife was a masseuse for like it goes out of out of the book goes out of its way to point these things out. His wife was was a masseuse for a for someone who was rich. Like it points that out very specifically. Yeah. Dell took rich people out to for quote unquote for hunting poaching, trips, yeah. which they turned out to be out to be um poachers. Uh his neighbor, whose name is escaping me now, was is a cabinet maker for very rich people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it it just sort of plays into this like it it just is a very obvious ploy to like sort of play into this underdog mentality i guess and it glorifies the people who do the work for the rich people right the cabinet makers just salt of the earth you know good guy and and even throughout the throughout the book at the end he makes a point of like jim looking at a guy and he's like that farmer's probably struggling to pay his bills and just get by and what I wouldn't do to trade places with him and have his problems. Mm -hmm. And it's so condescending to those people. I want to be like, yeah, all right, Jim, Mr. Crap out a masterpiece. Get me in a museum. Oh, I'm a tortured artist. I'd, I'd want to go back to the days of struggling. And he also tries to make that Jim is, is somehow also struggling. He's been so famous previously that he has a book written about him. Somebody, two books, two books wrote the first one's crap, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> Somebody wrote books about him and then yet he still wants Jim to be a guy who's like just barely getting by, right. you know. I can barely pay my rent or whatever. But you know, he's also just this genius masterpiece who who has also started multiple art trends, right. including painting uh animal figures on your furniture. furniture. Yeah. <laughs> That that's such a throwaway. It's just a th- Peter Heller just put in there as a throwaway gag. But like this guy basically will start an art trend by sneezing on a canvas. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. the way that he. That's the subtlety that he uses right. in sketching out Jim. Yeah, and um, and he's treated as such. Everyone loves him. Everyone loves him. Um, P- police who want him caught right. will still be like. Oh man, if I had money, I'd buy that painting. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so that's Jim. And there's one more thing I wanted to point about Jim. I wanted I wanted to know if you uh noticed this. He always has paint on him. Like always. it's always on his face <laughs> yep. or on his clothes or on his hands, and it just is kind of like it just seems like a very immature way to like describe a painter you know what i mean it's just kind of like we know he's a painter right like <laughs> yeah not only is it the title of the book but like every other paragraph is about him painting like, i'm surprised the cabinet yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sorry the cabinet maker didn't have splinters in his fingers <laughs> right. all the time he was constantly picking splinters out <laughs> he walks up with like uh handles in his hand he's like oh, i'm just working on some cat it's just is like it's like we get it he's he paint like i don't need to read a paragraph about him literally painting something and then walking into the store and being like the store clerk being like oh you've got green paint on your face you must be a painter <laughs> it's like 
come on <laughs> give it a rest you know what i mean um so anyways uh so jim so jim uh jim kills dell right so he starts getting uh he so now he's under investigation hmm. um uh and he and Del, Del has a bro- he has right a brother that's right and a nephew a kind of adopted guy right into yeah or is it truly his nephew and the later on in the book i think he identifies himself as like my uncles or right as as their sister's abandoned son or something like that yeah so so he kills dell the police get involved turns out dell has a older crazier brother than dell who's worse uh, than him who's worse than dell who's now coming to town to seek his revenge on Jim. Um, uh, meanwhile, Jim has been commissioned by his art dealer to do a portrait of some rich guy's daughters. So he heads to Santa Fe. Yeah, which is also gives gives way to pages and pages of conflicted artist, you know, I don't do portraits. I don't want to do it for, you know, just for a paycheck and blah, 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 blah. Setting up, of course, you know, where he's going to come around on this and knock it out of the park. And uh, it's anyway. Yeah, let's skip all that. Let's get us down to Santa Fe. Yeah. So he gets the Santa Fe, uh, you know, confrontations ensue. He, He paints the daughter's geniusly i might so geniusly that he can't even keep it to himself right yep. and and on that first crime scene he also he's not just a fly fisherman he's a great fly fisherman who makes his own uh flies and has yes. and has patented his own stegner right does it stegner right. fly right and the police find a stegner fly in the creek right. by dell's body which you know, circumstantially puts him there, which is how they get on his trail. Also, Dell's brother or the people there call the police with the idea that they are also then going to vigilante style go after right. uh, Jim, who yeah. they've reached out to the police to catch too. So they're kind of making it harder on themselves. And so, yeah, th- yeah. Under that cloud of suspicion, Jim runs to Santa Fe uh, to do the portrait. Right. When one of, the first major scene happens that really tells you how bad this book is going to get yeah. up to this point. It's been pretty bad. Yeah. There's, you know, the writing has gotten me through and then this scene happens and I literally put the book down for a few days mm-hmm. and just had to walk away. Do you want to set it up? Do you want to, that's the me? scene where he's painting the, after he's painted the no, that's girls? when he's when he's oh that's paint- right when he's delivering the painting when right deli- yeah. that's right so he delivers the painting and as he's like in the kitchen with the daughters and the wife who can we also say the wife is like like astonished at his creativity and is like and how quickly he works right? and, and like how court and she thinks it's so quirky and like every time he does something it cuts to like the wife and she's just like oh artists are so weird <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like- and, and when he comes to do the painting he also um you know he peter heller goes into these describing these girls like they're 
rabid small animals yeah who need to be you know like tamed in some way and so the way that jim does that is he gives them candy necklaces which is akin to like rock candy for me which is barely a candy (laughs) it's disgusting yeah and then it's like chalk candy chalk candy and then he gives them cigar babe like gum cigars gum cigars which are uh, i gum cigars make it a snickers yeah like why which also by the way turns into another art trend later on that that and and that's how he wins these girls over and then the way that they sit for him quote unquote for the portrait is that he gives them that candy he eats candy with them right he chews a gum cigar and then he's like i got it i yeah. got all that i need and then he walks and he out and leaves and what is and what's the wife do she's just like she's like oh, oh that's my. all you need oh that's so crazy i can't believe it like artists are so weird it's just <laughs> So stupid. And so, yeah, two days later, yeah, he comes back. To not deliver. even two days, is it? Like, he, uh, or maybe is it, it is. The next day? Or yeah. So, yeah. He, he goes back to his hotel. He paints. No, it's like the next day. He paints, and he's like, I don't want anyone to know how quickly I created this because they're going to think I didn't put any effort into it, so I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm just going to sit on it for a few days, right? But then he's just like immediately like, this is so I good. Can't I can't wait. sit on it. <laughs> so he goes back to their house the next day. And as he's delivering the painting to them in the kitchen, uh, what is Dell's brother's name? I don't even remember his name. Either way, Dell's brother starts shooting into the house at them. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, it makes no sense. And, like, and apparently not with like a sniper rifle. Like he's high. He's shooting up. He's shooting plates. He, yeah. And I think later on that's explained as I think later on um, Jim justifies that as like he was just trying to get his attention. Like it's it makes no sense absolutely at all for a guy who's trying to make who's trying to take vigilante justice out on somebody to shoot up a, a third party stranger's house who has literally not only no involvement, but it's like super rich. Right. Right. And can do like all sorts of bad things to him because they have like an un unending amount of money. And and who else would be shooting up this house? Right. But the brother of the guy who's died mysteriously. Like there's no better calling card. It's like this guy couldn't have just sat under Jim's car until <laughs> Jim came out and then just popped his head and be like, yeah. And just shoot. He just. What what he sees Jim in there delivering a painting gets so enraged by what yeah. by Jim delivering a painting I don't I don't get it yeah it's it's so strange um, and then after that does it go right to the desert after that does he go right he, to the desert after that yeah no, the he, police show up right the, the, the police show up and he kind of tells them half truth of of what happened and everything and. We also need to kind of talk briefly about Steve, his art dealer, right. who set this up, who is the most it's Peter Heller clearly has no idea who this guy is. At one point, Jim is talking about him as he's the best and he cares about me. And in the next second, Steve is just a money hungry, greedy art dealer right. who's just trying to make a buck off of Jim like everybody else. And Peter Heller has no subtlety with any of his characters and they're all conflicted in the sense that you feel like Peter Heller doesn't really know who these people are. Yeah. Steve, I had no, I have no idea who that guy is. 
Um, but he's in Santa Fe too, and he's kind of around all this. And so after the shooting, <clears throat> of course, the the wife, the rich wife, is totally okay with it mm-hmm. because Jim ran out and took a shot at the guy, and so she's like, "You saved our lives, thank yeah, you." Yeah, that's right. They're not, not hysterical that somebody <laughs> just shot into their house, right? Yeah, and and Jim, you brought this to us, yeah, which would right. be appropriate, right? Um, so yeah, after that, he, um, he basically leaves because the one cop who loves Jim too, wants to buy his art, but he's mm-hmm. also a good cop, um, basically says, you know, it's time for you to go. Like you need to get this right. out. Right, And this cop is also sort of like giving him hints along the way, like throughout the whole book. He's just like, you know, it's, it's one of those scenes where it's like or it's one of those lines where it's obviously uh, where he's just like you know because if you were innocent you wouldn't have this you know what i mean like <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge right like throughout the whole book and it all it, you know it, all that just to say like it just is it's playing into the same aspect of just like everybody loves jim and jim is the best and jim is like can do no wrong <laughs> that should be the novel name yeah everyone loves even though jim. he has actually murdered somebody <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wait, he's about to murder another person. Yeah, and so ultimately the, he ends up in the desert and like the the mountains, right? Fishing and painting. That's right. F- that's right. Um and then lo and behold, Dell's brother shows up again uh while he's in the desert. They get into a shootout from a distance. <sighs> he has a rev- Jim has a revolver. Jim has by a the revolver. Dell is shooting at him or is at least aiming at him with a sniper rifle, like literally a sniper rifle or no, I guess he's not because he finds that in his truck unused. Right. Right. He goes and bashes Jim's windshield. Right. And so Jim is in the desert. He doesn't know what to do. So he just fires off like two warning shots in the direction that he thinks Dell's brother would be. And eventually makes his way back to the truck to find Mm -hmm. that he randomly shot Dell's brother in the head right in the forehead <laughs> right in the forehead like like couldn't have <laughs> couldn't have done any better if he was aiming <laughs> it's just like another one of those things where it's just is so anyway so he kills Dell's brother then he tries to cover it up and this I didn't really understand he tries to cover it up by tying Dell to the back of his own truck and pushing the truck off the edge of a <laughs> it's not even no, off the he, edge of the mountain. It's just as like off the edge of a small hill. He puts he puts Dell in his truck to drive, or Dell's brother, back to the brother's car, because he can't lift him and drive right. him and everything. Then he puts him in his you know in it, he puts the brother back in the brother's car, and he drives that into a creek. Like off a little I thought cliff. there was a passage in there about him like tying him with a rope to the back of his own truck or something. Or I guess maybe that was just to get him back to his. Okay. Right. It's it's just to get him back to back to his okay. his truck. Gets him in there, pushes him off this cliff. Also, we have to say that after each of these killings, he goes through this extensive like washing down the truck, right. wiping cleaning up after himself, and then he leaves to go to. His kind of spirit guide woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Ermina. Yeah, Ermina. 
Uh, he has a few of these women all sprinkled around right, who that's he the can go thing. have all, great sex all, with. And, every single woman in this book loves him and is attracted to him and wants to have sex with him. And um, on his way there, he's musing now about how like he's killing like a pro now. And what does it mean? And blah, blah, blah. I'm painting. And he's painting Dell and his brother and his paintings now. And he's sending the paintings immediately to Steve and Steve is immediately pricing them. And Steve is like, your work is dark right. and people are buying. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's his, his prices are skyrocketing. So he goes to Amina to get rid of this revolver, learn a lesson about himself, reflect on the murder of his daughter, which happened when she was trying to buy weed in an alley, which and somebody stabbed her. Yeah. It's another thing. It's just it's like, that to me seemed a little like, like, like the, when he, when we last left the daughter storyline, it like it was, it, her boyfriend was like selling hardcore drugs to people. Yeah. And then when it gets picked up again, she gets stabbed to death buying weed from somebody. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't really jive. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he, he dumps the revolver there on her property, buries it. He leaves her to go back to um, his new love, who's young. And Peter Heller makes the point early in the book to reference that she is, quote, top heavy. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes back to her. um, The feds um, are out and he realizes he left his um, sleeping gear. Um, at the site that he shot Dell's brother when he was being shot at by a or sighted with a sniper rifle um, or thinking that he was, he left his pack there and he forgot to clean that up. So one of the um, officers is like, we're going to go back to that area and look for some stuff because they, they realized his windshield was broken. They find some shards in the car, which he had, had repaired. Um, and they're going to go, I guess, look for glass fragments to try and match up to put him at the scene of the crime right he decides he's going to go there and try and get rid of his pack when nobody's looking he immediately gets there and he's like i have to go pee <laughs> runs behind a rock yeah and his pack, pack is, is gone. gone and and I, we should uh, we should say quickly that all, throughout this whole book he is being occasionally he will be confronted or he will notice this one guy following him um Yep. That is an associate of Dell and Dell's brother. And um, so anyways. Yeah. So, so he's being followed and he doesn't really change his routine much. He's kind of out in the open, which is, is odd. Even before Dell's brother dies, he's out taking walks around the, 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 the town, you know, without a gun or anything. And, uh, and this guy's obviously, you know, Dell's brother's crazy. Why wouldn't this guy be crazy? too right and so anyway yeah he's um he gets called back to santa fe because that rich couple now want to unveil their painting and they invite him and a bunch of other people to the unveiling of their daughter's painting (sighs) you know really skipping over a lot of crap unless you have something to say yeah no i mean outside of the um the car chase that turns into a mudslide right the horribly described mudslide in which i literally had no idea what was happening until the character said 
it's a mudslide or whatever well, he says. And that's the thing. You know why Jim says that? He yells it to the guy who's coming that's to right. kill him. Right. And his name is Jason. Yeah. Right. Jason, who's the third associate of this Del Del, and his brother, who yeah. I'm trying to find his name and I cannot find it. Uh, is chasing him. They get in a car chase. He gets stuck in a riverbed. He sees a mudslide. And instead of just getting out of there and having the mudslide take care of Jason, he sticks his head out the window and goes, mudslide, get away, right. or whatever. And, of course, his truck picks up traction right at the last second. He gets out of there. The mudslide goes through. Uh, he escapes. Jason escapes. And he gets to go to the unveiling of the painting yeah. with all the rich people who have bought his paintings and the rich couple and a few of the women that he's bumped into along the way who all want to have sex with him. Um, and uh, Dell's brother's name is Grant, by the way. <laughs> Grant. So, yeah, so Grant's long dead with a wild revolver shot. I think he even put a distance in there like 200 yards. Yeah. It's like some ridiculous yeah. distance. Yeah, and I'll say about the and throughout the course of the book, there is almost no I mean there are occasional throwaway sentences of Jim struggling with what he's done. But it is not a focus at all of a book that you would imagine it being a focus of if you're talking about a relatively normal guy who was just killed murdered two people right like, like it's it's not explored really at all and it does come up at the auction because he starts getting nervous right um but the the one thing that could have been poignant and would have been really interesting or would have been a really interesting commentary if it was explored is this idea that as Jim is getting more and more infamous, his paintings are becoming more and more in demand. Right. And like this, you know, this, what you would think, uh, negative, this negative exposure, you know, you would think would have a negative effect on his career and it's having the opposite. It's making him more and more popular. And that could be a very interesting sort of critique on our culture and how we view celebrities. But instead it's just used more or less as to like, to build up this guy's ego even more, right? Yeah. To just be another like proclamation of how great this guy is. Yep. And then there's throwaway crap in there too about he keeps stumbling into like he decides to give this half hearted interview and everybody's in awe of him. And the local news station does this whole report on him that is just captivating to everybody. And right. Peter Heller feels it obviously you know jim's comment is like they're obviously going for their emmy and you know like that jim is a character that can provide that to these people like hey i can paint great paintings i can have great sex i can you know give you an emmy if you just do a do a story about me yeah i mean the guy is like forrest gump of the art world (laughs) you know just gumping his way from one triumph to another. Right. And it but but he's self-aware which makes him unsufferable. Yeah. Um and I actually wanted to read that paragraph um about the news story because Please do. Yeah, because and, and before before I before I read it, I'll just remind everyone that we're talking about a guy who has literally 
murdered two people in this book. Okay. <laughs> this is the paragraph. Don't forget that. Right he after has. the news story has ended. The center, he's, 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 Jim is, uh, describe, is talking about the, the news story. The centerpiece of the whole story was the interview just outside the hotel, if you could call it an interview. Given that I'd said two words, it was surprisingly impressive. I mean, it made an impression. It confirmed everything the story had been building to. A grand insinuation, pretty much case closed, that murder finds a man. And I'm going to, murder finds a man. I'm going to stop there for a second. Murder finds a man? You murdered people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right. Uh, He continues, especially... And this is this is maybe uh, this is Jim's thesis. Sta- this is Peter Heller's thesis statement on Jim, especially a rugged artist vigilante, reticent and mercurial, and lights a great fire under his art. And his art, well, it's pretty much genius. <laughs> but in all caps, he says, "But in all caps, it cannot and never will justify breaking the law." And it continues in all caps. And certainly not murder. Not ever. (laughs) That seemed to be the takeaway. I found the remote on the floor and flicked off the tube. So if I'm reading that correctly, the way I interpreted that is he's saying great art does justify murder. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Is that not what he's saying? He's trying to say both things. He's trying to have it both ways. But yeah, he's saying... He is saying that murder has sought out this man right. and has made this great art. Yeah, he's saying his art is genius. And yeah. then he goes, and, and the only reason I'm saying that is because it's written in all caps with exclamation points. Like, it's it's written sarcastically, right? It, he writes sarcastically and certainly not murder, not ever. Like, that's a weird takeaway from this book. <laughs> <laughs> that the author has written, you know, I'm not interpreting that. The author has written that on the page. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's more or less the end of the book, right? The book ends not literally there, but you know, there's no more progress made after that. Um, yeah. and then, and then there's an epilogue that, um, there's an epilogue where Jim is fly fishing and he's confronted by Jason out in the middle of nowhere and it's the only time in the book where he is forced, literally forced by Jason to face the idea that killing two people may have an adverse effect on his mental state. Right. So they're in the wilderness. He's creek. fly. F- they're in the creek fly fishing. Jason is literally holding a gun to his head and forcing him to reconcile emotionally with with what he's done. And that's the extent of the, that's the end of the book. First of all, Um, you know, Jason walks away by saying like, or what does Jim Jim like suggest? Like, do you want me to help kids or something or old people? And Jason is just like, I don't know. Jim just do something. Yeah. He, he basically, Jason reveals that he is the That's nice right. guy of this bad gang. Mm-hmm. So luckily Jim has killed the two worst people right. and is left with the soulful, you know, um, heart at the center of this poaching gang. Right. Who 
of course, wasn't good with their, um, wasn't on board with their poaching, right. wasn't on board with how they treated animals or right. people, blah, 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 but they were family. Mm-hmm. So he feels compelled to do something. But he's decided to let Jim live with no clear idea of why other than he's like, who knows, one day maybe I will wake up and decide to come shoot you. Right. But he's like, but you better live. You better live your life, you know, yeah. and kind of like for them or make it better, you know? And, and Jim's yeah. like, well, what do you want me to do? And he goes, work with kids or old people or something. <laughs> like that, that was Jason's yeah. soulful Jason's right. recommendation. Jason, who's been following Jim for probably months on end, <laughs> who's now followed him into this like creek out in the middle of nowhere and his and he, I guess he didn't really think through to what he actually wants Jim to do. Yeah, work with and, kids. And, and you're basically left with this painter who has had no conscience throughout the whole book is now literally has one assigned to him for the rest of his life. And just is really unsatisfying. But that's the end. That's the end of the book. Um, but there are two. there are two more things I wanted to talk about. The first one is just the actual writing of the book and um of heller's actual writing and it's it's a very obvious he's very obviously i don't know if the dog stars is written this way but he's very obviously going for a um ernest hemingway short sentences short sentences to the point sort of like ernest hemingway kind of like meets cormac mccarthy not a lot of punctuation a 13 year old right (laughs) um but for but it just doesn't work. Um, and and one of the, the the best example that I saved, and I know that you have some, is comes about halfway through the book. And uh, what I'm going to read is three separate sentences, right? Sat on the rock, up here, not desert. Up here, it was cool. <laughs> is that haiku? <laughs> That's it. That's the three separate sentences about him sitting out in the wilderness wilderness where it's not uh hot we, and we also get these strained uses of poetry throughout this book too mm-hmm. that i don't know about you i found insufferable the passages that he keeps referring to and referencing and all that stuff here's and here's kind of peter heller going off and being poetic mm-hmm and I said this to you, I just want to say, I realize the irony of me doing this. Right. I understand, like I'm saying, hey, it's an accomplishment to just complete a novel. But with lines like this, yeah, I wasn't going through and highlighting like, oh, terrible stuff until the shootout. And then I couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. I had to. So here's a beautiful passage where he's talking about um, a like two an elk and a baby elk uh-huh. and they're conversing. Uh, and this is what he says. So basically he of course is out trying to fly fish mm-hmm. and he's passing all the beautiful nature and um, <clears throat> he passes by this elk and this baby elk. And uh, he says, ah, they were close enough to see each other. Clearly I was sure they were conversing. 
a kind of call and response, an affirmation that rang against the hill. And then he goes into like his poetic, he offsets these next sentences, Mm -hmm. right? Put spaces between them. Are you there? I am here. Will you be there now? Next? I will be here always. That's what it sounded like, period, to me, period. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I mean, and that's what it sounded like, period. Yeah. Way to put your period there, to me. It's yeah. it's needless. It's not artistic. It's trying so hard, right? And, it is. And the problem and what you need most with that is you need it to seem effortless. Like Hemingway's writing works so well, I feel like because it's Ernest Hemingway. Like I feel like he's not he's not trying to write a certain way. He's right. just writing how he writes. Like Cormac McCarthy has a very distinct voice and he's writes in that voice and that's why it works for him. And this just feels like it just feels like someone trying too hard. And then re- really quickly here's some one-offs, yeah. okay? So um this is when his <laughs> his painting is revealed, mm-hmm. right? And here's one sentence he puts in talking about everybody responding to the to the reveal mm-hmm. of his painting, which includes the two girls, one with a chicken in her hair right. and one with a sparrow or something. Yeah, like a, like a nest of birds in the other. Yeah. So once, it's, once it was revealed, he writes, the mixture was high octane, period. The sea of admirers parted in a crush, period. Drinks were spilled. <laughs> What the heck? How profound. <laughs> Drinks were spilled. Oh, they were so moved. Yeah. Um and then and then you know there's stuff like this. Um So some guy is smoking ahead of I can't remember where this came in, but anyway, a guy lights a cigarette, right? Mm-hmm. His smoke trailed downstream. It smelled good. It smelled like life. Is that like when he's fishing life. with Jason, maybe? maybe? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he's, yeah, and Jason lights a... Uh, and then finally, this is the, the kind of insight you're going to get on art. Uh, so he's walking around a town with his girlfriend. They walk by this lesser art dealer who deals art of a guy who's obsessed with coyotes, mm-hmm. apparently. Oh, that's right. I remember this now. Right. That's she right. likes the coyotes, and he writes... And he doesn't. And he's right. trying to explain to her why. Yeah. Uh, so she's asking about one coyote painting. He says, there's something in even this coyote, this dawn of the world Genesis coyote, that is not true. He did not see into the heart of the coyote. And so I reject it. That's not snobism. Yeah. And there's something so condescending about that entire passage when he's talking about that guy. I remember it now that you described a little bit more. Yeah. It just is like, yeah, it just doesn't work. Um, and, and I had one other thing I wanted to talk about, but I think I'll save it for 
a separate bonus episode because it's yeah. a it's a longer conversation and it's one that we've had before and it's one that I would like to revisit you know a few years later um but we'll talk about that at a later time uh but that was the painter we'll take a we're going to take a break and then we will come back with our social media musings <laughs> back after uh no time at all right after no time at all uh so we're going to see what's going on with twitter facebook youtube the internet mm-hmm. the internet in general um keith we were just talking about um this was it a how did you find i guess how did you even find the video we're talking about a video but you didn't tell me how you I discovered it. Yeah, I, f- I found a video and I saw somebody tweet a link to it. <clears throat> so, uh, but I didn't really look at it. And then I was listening to a podcast of some people talking about this video called the Transformers Pre-Make. Right. Where this, I think he's a film student, uh, has collected a lot of footage and made this kind of 20-minute documentary where basically he collects all these samples of footage of people who are, you know, recording Michael Bay making the new Transformers film that isn't out yet. That's coming out in a few weeks. Right. Because, and I, and, and, and Michael and the Transformers move sets are kind of notorious for leaks. Right. And Michael Bay's notorious for getting upset about the leaks. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's, and, Basically, through this documentary where he doesn't do any voiceover or anything like that, he basically, in collecting all this footage, shows that, number one, the studio is actively involved in shaping this footage that is, you know, from the surface, seeming to come from these people, like, freely. Right. Like, they are going however long they have to go or hide out or do whatever they have to do to get this 10 seconds of footage that is going to get them how many, you know, views, who knows, um, to, to, to upload that's showing, you know, really nothing, Yeah, you know, and through just the collecting collection of footage and just maybe through the way he edits it, it's really hard to, to know. He makes some real points that maybe aren't, um, pertinent to us, like about the global market of, filmmaking about Michael Bay choosing China, you know, to shoot part of this movie in Mm -hmm. and trying to make it seem like it's out of his own free will when really it's like China is a growing market. So go film there. Right. You know? Um, But I think what I was more interested in are the amount of people that were attracted to the sets of transformers to film on their phones, Mm -hmm. you know, for 10 seconds and, there's a dad in one of the videos who doesn't even know who Mark Wahlberg is. And he's trying to like shoot it for his daughter and he keeps uh-huh. shooting the wrong person maybe because she's like yelling at him like, no, that's Mark Wahlberg. Right. Uh-huh. And then you also have, um, you know, this lady who is filming 
you know, one of the trucks being transported with a whole police guard. And she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know it's Transformers. She's just driving and filming on her phone. Mm -hmm. And like, she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this is all about. And it's like, well, then why are you filming? You know, like, what are her hopes for that video? You know, is she hoping to see like a chase, a car Mm. chase? Is she hoping to see a famous person pop out of the, the, the truck or... You know, and so it just create it. It's just a real interesting look through this new Transformers film at kind of <clears throat> a whole lot of issues. But for me, it was like, what drives people two sets to get ten seconds of cell phone footage of fireworks going off to then upload? Like, what's the net gain of that footage? Mm-hmm. You know, for them. Yeah, uh, some some of that stuff too could be you know, just marketing for Transformers. You know, the woman filming the um the the barricade of cars could just be that could just be a form of viral marketing. It's a little bit of a cynical way to look at it, but like the the there are better there are better examples of this and there's a lot of them. But especially on Reddit, there's a lot of companies that will go out there and try and post something to Reddit that is supposed to be like you know, a regular guy uploading something. And then right. in the comments, you see them getting called out. Like this right. is obviously marketing. And the, the best example I can think of was for Anchorman two. And someone had uploaded a picture of Will Ferrell and the Ron Burgundy makeup, hair and makeup and, and clothes and stuff standing outside of a bar, I think. And it was like a across the street shot, just like, you know what I mean? Right. And the title was just like, look who just showed up in my town or something. Right. It was just, and then in the comments, the first thing is like, is some guy who's done some sort of sleuthing and just been like, Hey, this is obviously marketing. And sure enough, the right, the second comment below that, the reply to that was, um, you know, the marketer just being (laughs) like, you got me enjoy the movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's just like, there's so much of that going on that I think a lot of people don't think about or pick up on, but what that video made me think of, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before on the show, was that um, that uh, Frontline documentary that was on a while ago called Generation Like. And that's right. what the entire thing is about. It's about how companies are using this, are using show, social media and likes and YouTube videos to promote their brands more or less. And it, it and you know, it it follows a guy who you know, one of these video bloggers who just started uploading videos of himself online one day. And at this point, he's now like companies are, they're not, I don't think they're paying them specifically, but they like just give them a bunch of crap and they're just like promote this. Promote and this. they do it because they're getting free stuff. But yeah. it's all under the guise of like, hey, this is my personal video blog and I'm just talking to you guys. Right. And it also follows uh, like teenage girl who's like, who's a huge um, Hunger Games fan. And she's like, uh, you know, Hunger Games has this whole chart of like their top fans, like the top 100 fans. And it's like, you have to do certain things to move up the ranks. You have to get so many retweets. You have to share so many tweets. You have to favorite so much stuff. You have to kill so many (laughs) children. And it's, yeah. And it's like, it's and this girl is just like 
and she's she lives it. That's all. That's what she's all. I mean, you know, granted, she is like fourteen or fifteen years old, I think, or something like that. But that's it's it speaks just to to that. You know, her sharing the trailer for catching for catching fire on mm-hmm. Facebook is free publicity for catching fire that they wouldn't have necessarily otherwise. And they don't have and they're not paying anybody for it. Yeah. They're just incentivizing their fans to do it by this you know, fake leaderboard. See, but I'm in that in that incentive is what is throwing me, mm-hmm. I think. And and I feel like we're moving closer to like a Truman show esque kind of world. Or I think Truman Show needs to be remade. But with this new twist on it, where like everybody around this person is being co-opted to sell them, sell that one person something, yeah. you know, um, b- because that it's it's this weird, like cultural dystopia that I I foresee that's kind of frightening, where it's marketing passed off as real life, and there's no compulsion, I guess, from the marketing team. They're just trying to sell their stuff. And they right. don't care about like, oh, you believe this is real or this person's real or that's real. You know, who cares? Just like our stuff. And that and that was another interesting thing in this um, Transformers pre-make video. He finds this kid who has a video removed and he emails the kid. He's like, hey, what was on your video? And he, in an email back, the kid is like, you know, this is what was on it. They took it down. And to end his email, he just goes, so excited to see this movie. You know, <laughs> hope hope you're as excited as I am or whatever and signs right. off, right? And I'm like, okay, so let's take out the idea that he's a plant, right? Let's take out the idea that all these people are... So let's just say that's, a, that's an actual person. They filmed. They were on the street, right? They got this footage. They upload it themselves onto their own YouTube video. The parent company filming, you know, making the the film threatens to sue him and takes off that video footage. And what is his response? He's just as excited to see the movie as if he'd been treated well by them or just said like, hey, we were filming in the world. This kid had a, you know, a phone. He got the footage. Okay. You know, and let and let him be. Like, why isn't he at all like upset? You know, like, doesn't he have the idea that that's his footage? Is that our idea too? With like our social media, that it's this weird thing that we we engage in, even when it's us. Mm-hmm. That my own content isn't mine. That anybody could swoop in, or this company is it just that it's the company? He's just a Transformers fanboy or whatever, just mm-hmm. happy to get close to the glow. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that response was kind of weird too. And I'm like, and, it, and it's kind of scaring, scary when, when you see the influence that, you know, people can have or, or companies can have on people through social media. Yeah. Like you said, here's a random leaderboard that means nothing. Go. Yeah. And you're going to have people who are going to try and fill that leaderboard. Right. Or this kid, it's like, film all you want and we're going to take away what we don't want you to be posting. And they're like, okay, that's fine with us. Yeah. Like, what are they getting out of that exchange? It, it honestly, it made me embarrassed to be excited for any Michael Bay film <laughs> or this Transformers film, which I wasn't even really excited about, but whatever, it's summer. It made me embarrassed to like movies. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's just the way that's just the way it goes with all of I don't think it's you know, it's obviously not specific to Michael Bay. You oh know, no. It, it's everybody's doing it. But that's it's like it like I said, I, I would really recommend watching Generation Like if you could find it somewhere, but it's you, you know and, and it's not just movies you know you know coca-cola does it mcdonald's does exactly. it exactly you know if if you if you if you like coke on facebook now all of a sudden every time i look at facebook i'm getting coke ads right and it says so-and-so liked coke and right. then i see this ad and it's just like you know and a lot of times that throws me off because it's like it says so-and-so likes this company and then it'll have an ad for like their new product and my first reaction is like most of the times, you know, they're like crap products. Right. And so my first reaction most of the time is like, does this, why did this person like this? You know, and you kind of have to just trace the lineage and realize, oh, well, they just, for whatever reason, two liked, months ago, they right, liked. liked this page, liked their generic page. And now they're more or less co-opting your name to give a recommendation for something that you've probably never used or seen or have experienced. So that's just something to think about. You, you know, know I really don't like, now that you bring that up, that made me think of this too. Sometimes I will go to share a video or something. Mm -hmm. And if I go through a, like a like hit a button that maybe has been set up, like through that site or whatever, mm -hmm. um, to share it instead of going to like the source on YouTube or whatever to share, if I hit, hit a button to like just automatically share this to my Twitter Sometimes they'll fill in like a sentence and and then the link, you know, mm -hmm. but the sentences I've noticed at first, I think it was like um, something broad, like found this video or or check this out. Right. Yeah. I've noticed lately. I think sometimes they even put like this had me rolling or you know like oh like, really yeah like I that feel wouldn't like they, surprise me like they try and put in like a phrase like yeah they, like they try and phrase it like a person and yeah. it's like all i did was hit a button to share like i can write my own reaction yeah you that, know yeah that does sound familiar now it's like the it's like they're assigning everyone like upworthy headlines now you know what i mean it's like next thing you know it's gonna be like keith krepko watch this video and then his life was never the same <laughs> exactly <laughs> Keith Krepko recommends that you watch this. Right. You know, even even yeah. that I feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. Like I'm sharing, but don't put words and yeah. don't attach me to the words, right? Yeah. Or or try and reflect how strongly I responded to this. Mm -hmm. I may be sharing it because I hate it. You know, I may be sharing it because I to one person because it might appeal to them. You yeah. know, I don't want like Keith thinks this is the best video he's seen today. You know, like. Yeah. Post it. That's why I never actually use any of the share buttons. If I ever want to share anything on Facebook, it's I always just use the URL. Yeah, that's what I do now. I don't know when it's easier, but there have been a few times where I feel like I've clicked through that, mm -hmm. and it's just had this strangely personal mm -hmm. autofill <laughs> that I'm like really uncomfortable with, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's weird that maybe it's just a symptom of my overall uncomfort um, level with broadly what's going on with social media but the thing that most kind of um gets me on edge now is that is the yeah. co-opting of me and what my tastes are not the broader implications that you hear every day of like the nsa yeah. you know calling my information yeah. or you know re recording my my views on politics or whatever it's this it's the little thing of like don't say i like this let yeah. me say I like right. this, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
All right, well, that was uh, the social news. <laughs> the social news. Um, we're going to take a break, and we will come back with last show's recommendation. Keith's recommendation last show it's a short film that is available online right it's made by a guy called his name is Don Hertzfeld mm-hmm. um, he does a lot of animation stuff but it was originally a, a released in like three parts right right it, originally it was it's, it's basically a compilation of three of his short films mm-hmm. all following the same character right all kind of telling you know the complete full story but yeah it's it's a it's about an hour long mixed media animation and it's really good i liked it a lot it, it, i i was a little thrown off at first because it's kind of it starts off r- sort of really grounded and you know it starts off like going through like with just sort of making you know commentary on sort of like mundane things right but then it oh, kind of very quickly like turns into just like nonsense images, mm-hmm. but you learn, you know, throughout the course of the movie, what's going on, or at least you have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I mean, I'm not sure how it worked for you. For me though, it actually was pretty emotional and mm-hmm. it's, and you know, it's kind of about a, a man who is losing his memories and mm-hmm. in some way is in that way dealing with, mental decline mm-hmm. you know and and health decline and the the animation itself is he's like a stick figure right so it's extremely simple um and then he will introduce elements of you know outside media too you know yeah um kind of that that break up this kind of stick figure animation and then he also uses voiceover and Mm -hmm. i I was really interested to know your feeling on the voiceover because if anybody has a trip up on it i would think the voiceover could be Mm -hmm. could be it because to me the story is really compelling once you get into it but what was your sense on the voiceover i was interested did that ever strike you as like something odd that you'd have to get over or were you fine with it no i I was fine with it i I never i i like you, I could understand how someone could... I mean, the guy's voice is kind of warbly, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there's not... You know, I mean, the whole thing is just voiceover. The whole thing is just narration. Right. The entire movie is narrated. <clears throat> right. By this guy. Um, but, I, you know, I couldn't... I mean, I guess I don't... I couldn't really see any... Like, I don't really see the scenario where someone is, like, down with the animation... And the, you know, the multimedia in the thing, but then is thrown off by the guy's voice. It's, really? It seems really fitting to me, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, and I, I wish I could go back to when I first heard about this, uh, when some people were talking about it, because I think the, the film was made a few years ago. 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's in it's not an old film, but it's getting in, well. It's from 2012. 2012 is when it was, I guess, maybe compiled and released. Right. I don't know. I he'd think, been working on it for a while. Right. Before. I think they. Oh, he'd been working on it for six years. I think is what I read. Yeah. But it was compiled and released as a whole in 2012. Right. And and for me, I think it was definitely. Um, something that lingered with me as well in a way that I didn't anticipate it to. Mm-hmm. It didn't have me like weeping and like rolling on the floor or anything. Um, but for what it is, I found it really powerful. And it's something that when are you ever going to stumble upon it? Like you have to seek it out, yeah. you know? And so I thought it'd be a good recommendation, but what would you say to somebody else? Would you, pay this for it and recommend it on or are you just kind of happy you saw it and it depends on who i was talking to so give me one represent like who would represent somebody that you wouldn't and who would be somebody that you would uh you is somebody i would recommend it to so you'd recommend it back to me <laughs> right <laughs> like if the roles were reversed i would have recommended it to you as well so, so do, do you think but the- like I, I wouldn't recommend it to like my wife or my mom or I think it's it's I think you have to be I think you have to be somewhat like I said, I, I think the voice could turn somebody off on its own. Like I think the voice yeah, think could, could be the initial barrier to entry for the film. But I don't I don't see it as like this would be so good if if it weren't for the voice. You know what I mean? Um so, so, but, but it's, it's an, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's an acquired taste. You have to sort of be, and you have to make an effort. Like, like I said, you know, I, I try and look for meanings and things. And for at least half of this, I was kind of like, I'm just watching nonsense. Right? Really? You felt that Yeah, way? I really did. Until, until, I mean, until, you know, they sort of really get into what's going on with the guy, um, Maybe his name's Bill, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of like, because it's like I said, it starts with just the mundane observations on things. And then all of a sudden, all of this weird stuff starts happening just out of nowhere. Um, how, how do you think it, it portrayed kind of mental illness or by the end? I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it did a really good job. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying. Like halfway through i was kind of like you know is something actually going on here or is this just like an experimental avant-garde you know exercise in multimedia animation yeah well yeah and so i guess you know the one thing that when, when i recommend something you know as i reflect and reflect on this i'm like i think this goes back to what we keep hinting about our discussion on our views on art yeah where I think my ideal is to find that piece of art that is not readily available that speaks to an objective kind of reality for other people mm-hmm. of of quality. Something that is undeniably across the board good that is also not mainstream. Mm-hmm. I think I'm in search of that elusive white whale. Right. Um, <clears throat> a piece of art that's so powerful that's so unique and visionary that it breaks through even the, the most uh, hardened 
kind that, of that cultural... would work for literally every single person in the world. Okay, not every single yeah, person. But you it know doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not every single person, but you know, somebody who has somewhat of an interest at all in film or art would be able to look upon it or engage it and come away, you know, with like that was really good. You know, like you said, you wouldn't recommend it for your wife. And I haven't shown it to my wife either, you know? And, and I so, wouldn't recommend it for your wife either. Well, you don't know my wife. <laughs> and I Lay off. Yeah, and I don't mean that as in no, condescending no, in any way towards, you know, for anybody it's, that it, I wouldn't recommend. It, it's yeah, just it's like I said, there. I think it's a very acquired taste. Like, like yeah. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an hour-long movie where 90% of it is narrated by... By a hundred percent of it is narrated by a guy with a kind of a weird voice, and or not weird, but you know, just unusual, a unique, unique, and ninety percent of it is stick figure animation. <laughs> really good stick figure animation. Yeah, though. I wouldn't even go that far. I mean, oh come on, I, I have no issues with the animation, but it's not like I think. I think it's deceptively difficult. I think if we were oh, to sure. sit down, yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying like. You know, I, you know, it it ultimately it's stick figure anima- animation. Well, and I'm not look. It's difficult. I get it. It's I animation. Do it. It's animation. I get it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, so I would recommend it. You know, if you've enjoyed our conversations on other movies, <laughs> if you've listened this far, there might be a, a good chance that you'd like it, or at least would be interested. So, I would recommend it to anybody listening that is not. Uh, necessarily an immediate family member. <laughs> um, yeah, so my recommendation for you is a podcast called Song Exploder. And it is exactly what the name implies. This guy, uh, it's, a relatively, it's a relatively new podcast, but this guy takes a song and then he completely takes it apart, takes, you know, the drum track, the vocals track, guitar, bass, everything takes takes it all apart. And then he interviews someone from the band member about the song. And they talk about the process of making it. They talk about the different tracks that you listen to. And it's just as one of those, like, it's a really great idea, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just, it's, it's I've started listening to it recently because it um, was featured on 99% Invisible, another podcast I listened to. And it's, it has quickly become, like, the podcast that, I'm waiting to be updated so I can listen to it immediately. Cause it just is. And and with that being said, I don't think they've talked about a single song that I like so far, <laughs> but it just is, is really interesting to me. It's just as a great concept. So he hasn't gotten to Beyonce yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can't wait. Yeah. But in the, the latest one I just listened to was converge. Um, like you were looking don't at, don't you like converge? Not really. I mean, I, I never really thought you did. no, I don't think so. I mean, they've always kind of been around, but I've never really listened to them. Yeah, I think I think I may remember your past better than you remember your past. <laughs> that could be possible. <laughs> um, so yeah, Song Exploder. Um, I'm on it. Good. And they're only like 20 minutes long I saw, at yeah, the I most. Saw, well, I, I saw short. somewhere like 11. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the person doesn't have much to say about right. that. What yeah. if he does? He takes apart this, he like interviews the person like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I was high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be when um, they get Kings to a Kings of Leon song and they just talk to the singer. <laughs> right. I would actually love, absolutely love to hear that. <laughs> what if, what if we find out that Kings of Leon actually didn't record anything past their first album? It's all been like <laughs> just another band they bring in mm-hmm. to like, 
put the album together and then the Kings yeah. of Leon in their haze are like, just learn to play those songs <laughs> and go on tour. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. It's just a whole bunch of unattractive people <laughs> playing the actual music. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that does it. That's the end of the show. Um, it felt short for some reason. It trust me. It's not, this is going to be our longest one. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, you can find, well, the, the music for the show is as always Johnny Hawaii. Still no know if that's his real name or not. And mm-hmm. Waylon Thornton. And I'm still convinced that is his real name. Yep. Uh, but you can find us on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. And you just finished a Twitter novel. Yeah. What did you think? Did you read the ending? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't get to the uh, end and not finish. <laughs> yeah. I think it's something that I want to talk about. All right. Well, we can talk about it later, but I will. I do. I did want to ask you this. Do you think it works as a format? Yes. Okay. Because there's another one I have teed up already. Go for it. And it's only like seven sentences long. Yeah. But I'm excited. But my biggest problem is like, because obviously it's, it's obviously you're reading it for the payoff, right? For the very last yes. tweet. <laughs> yeah. Right. But then. But the problem with, with Twitter is as soon as you load it up, you get that very last tweet first. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, I use an app that does the reverse scrolling, so I don't have to worry about that. But, like, when you're just looking at it on Twitter, you know, your 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 punchline is right ruined. There. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I'll probably start that up tomorrow then. Okay. All right. And and, and Keith is also on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, at Things Come Right. At Things Come Right. I have right. my own Twitter novel. Oh, you do? Yeah. It was a while ago, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll look for it. All right. Um, and real, really quick, not to extend a, a show that's already super long, but we've we've changed the hosting for the podcast. We're now hosting it on what used to be my personal website, brownbluewhite.com, and that's now going to be where the where the podcast is hosted at. And we're also going to try and do some supplemental writing for the shows. So I think my best example when explaining it to Keith was, you know, when we talked about Rectify, not only was that episode very heavily edited for time, but there was still a lot of stuff that we both wanted to say about the show afterwards. So I think, you know, the website could serve as that, you know, either for conversations for us to go back and forth or just an individual or whatever. Uh, but if you're listening to this and you've subscribed in iTunes, that's great. If you're listening to this just like from the website or from a Facebook link or whatever, you may have to resubscribe in iTunes because it's a whole new feed now. Um, but if you want any more details on the show or if you are interested in checking those things out, which you should be, um, because you are most likely a friend of ours. <laughs> And you'd be kind of uh, mean for not being interested in those things. (laughs) Um, But yeah, go to brownbluewhite.com. So until next time. uh, I forgot to stay warm. Yeah. (laughs) 